So Lindsay's doing a good job picking up on last week, some of last week's themes, uh, stepping into a new, a new year um, and entering in to the, the pattern of worship. Um, because we want to set some goals for our year ahead, uh, not just to get our, our closets cleaned up, or our, our shoes sorted out, uh, things like this, but we also, yes, want to set some goals that are worthy of the gift that we have received in Jesus. Uh, remember, God has taken on flesh. He's become one of us. He dwells among us. He's united um, us to himself by way of the Spirit so that we can participate in his life in the world. And so we want, he's kind of set a high bar for us. It's, it's sort of infinite, really. And so let's not aim for little things as a church and as a congregation, but let's, let's shoot for big things. Uh, let's desire to enter in and participate in the life God has called us to. Um, remember last week we talked a little bit about the theodrama, which is like God's story, kind of. Uh, there's a story that is playing out in the world, the story of salvation, and we all have a part to play in it. You have a part to play in it, a role, you might say, uh, which we might also call a calling or a vocation. And as you enter into that, you are entering in and participating with Christ in what he has for you. Of course, God has also gathered us as a company. So it's not just your particular role, but together we have a calling. Uh, and part of that is to bear witness to the fact that God is in our midst, and that God has something to do with us and wants to love the world. And so you've come here today, right? You're here on a Sunday morning with the weather being kind of rough outside. You could have easily said, that looks a little too cold or a little too iffy, and I, I like my warm bed, so I'm going to stay. But you haven't said that. You've come to participate, to share in the life that God's calling us to. Um, so as we enter in this morning, what I hope to do is to, for the next number of weeks, uh, show how the, the pattern of worship itself, actually the order of things that we go through, I mean, it's not haphazard or accidental, but the, the stages of worship are actually the stages of life and how we participate in the life of God. Worship is the most condensed version of that. And uh, so this morning, I'm going to kind of lay out sort of a broad picture of what's going to happen, the largest frame. And then in the weeks ahead, we're going to go kind of section by section and delve a little deeper into the things that we typically do and show up for in worship and just kind of act out and participate. But I think that we can grasp more deeply what God is wanting to do in us through that process. Um, so... As we enter in, I invite you to listen carefully and listen well, um, because this is epiphany. It is the time when we remember the wise men coming to visit the Christ child. Um, I invite you to listen carefully and well to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. For this too is the word of the Lord. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, 
are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing unto you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So here's a pattern I'd like to invite you to consider. It's the pattern of any good story, really. We're talking about the theodrama. We're talking about God's story in the world. And we're also talking about our own stories and how they fit into his story. And so uh, the pattern of a good story is pretty consistent. Um, If you were to think of any particular story, the very best ones and the very most memorable ones all follow a pretty uh, typical pattern. And the reason for that is simple. Uh, Jesus, who is the word, the logos, is the the pattern. Uh, And so everything in the world sort of corresponds to him in various ways. And stories are no different. And so in every story... Uh, There are a few stages. First, there's the anticipation stage. It's the beginning. It's the stage in which a person is sort of attracted to something new. They're going to enter into this next step along the journey. They enter with lots of enthusiasm and optimism. And that leads to the second stage of the story, which is that of the challenge, the difficulty that suddenly arises that stands between them. They thought it was going to be so easy, but now there's something to be overcome. That's actually what makes it an interesting story. So there's an anticipation, and then there's a challenge that emerges, and then finally there's an encounter that happens. And that's sort of the climax. That's the central part of the story, which really in the end gives meaning to everything else. And following the encounter, it can go one of two ways. There are either blessings that come from that encounter, and so the the person has won something, they have gained something, and they move into the future with uh, that new thing that they have acquired. Sometimes that's an external possession. Sometimes that's a new internal character trait. But they move uh, with blessing or with curse or with failure or with trouble. You could think of a comedy which ends well or a tragedy which ends poorly, right? So one of two things happens there after the encounter, blessings or curses. And then the character returns to Normal life, but now changed in some way. It's really the pattern of every story. Uh, Can you think of a story? Out loud. Anybody? Story of creation, yeah. I was thinking more like a um, 
kid's story or a story that you like, a book, a uh, movie, anything. Any Hallmark movie that you made. Any Hallmark movie that's ever made. Okay, there we go. All right. All right. Charlotte's Web. Charlotte's Web. I don't remember the plot well enough to do this, but this morning they, they, uh, they said uh, Goldilocks was the one that was lifted up, right? So what's happening? Goldilocks is, what's she doing in the beginning? Wandering through the woods, right? And um, uh, that's a little Red Riding Hood, oh, yeah, I think. That's yeah, 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 yeah. That's okay. You could do the same thing with Little Red Riding Hood. So, that's right. So Goldilocks. It's unfair because you know Spencer's too. So, so so Goldilocks is she's out in the woods, picking flowers or something. And then what happens? She sees a house. She sees a house. Something new. And then she, begin, she sees it, and then she begins to smell some good smell coming from it, and she's attracted. She anticipates. She moves towards the house. She wants to know what's in the house. She wonders what could be there. She goes in, anticipation, and then she begins to encounter some challenges. Uh, she wants a bowl of porridge. It smells great. That's what drew her in. But then one's too cold and one's too hot, and... Then one's just right. Yeah, so, so there's not an immediate recognition of that which she's desiring and moving towards, but there's a process, and often these in stories show up in threes, oddly enough. So she gets some porridge. She's take a, take a sip for a minute. One chair's too hard. One two, chair's too soft. One chair fits her just right. One bed's too big. One bed's too little. One is just right. The challenge has to be engaged with and eventually overcome. And then what happens? Well, the encounter, right? The bears show up. The bears show up in the house. And, well, in this story, it's not a, a, a real blessing for her. So she runs in terror and goes back. It's the, it's the whole story, right? That's the pattern. Let me give you another story. It's the story of Moses and the burning bush. Moses... He's walking through the woods to grandmother's house. I mean, no, he's, he's tending his sheep out in the fields. He's doing the thing he always does. He's, uh, he's getting up in the morning and making a pot of coffee. He's doing the things that we always do. When suddenly what happens? What is he? he sees a burning bush, a bush that burns without being consumed, and he's, he's drawn near. He's curious. He anticipates. He moves towards it. He comes close. But then there's a challenge, isn't there? What's the challenge? Take your shoes off. You don't just get to walk up here into the, the holy presence of God who's actually uh, there in that place. He says, no, Moses, take off your shoes. The ground upon which you tread is holy ground. There has to be an appropriate approach into the presence of God. And then there is true encounter. How do we know? Moses is given to know God's name. We bump into people all the time, you know, post office, grocery store, whatever, standing in line to check out. There's a little encounter, sort of, but if you really encounter someone, what do you learn? You learn their name. You learn a little bit about who they are, what they care about, where they're from, things that constitute their identity. Moses anticipates, he draws near, he's challenged, he approaches appropriately and reverently. This God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he knows a little bit about his past, who this God is, what shall I call you? 
I am who I am. It's the God of being, God of existence. He encounters him. He's blessed by him. He is drawn into God's purpose and plan and story. And then he is sent from that encounter, in that place of encounter, out to return, but now with a new task, a new purpose, a new part, a new role to play, a new calling, a new vocation. He's being sent to participate in God's liberation of his people from slavery. See how that works? Let's look at another story. I mean, that's the pattern of worship right there, really. Moses approached the burning bush and the encounter and the call and the sending. Peter, walking on the water. These are some, these are some big ones, right? Well-known ones, yeah? So what's what, what was Peter's job? He's a fisherman. How many times had he been in a boat? As many times as Goldilocks had walked through the woods and Moses had tended sheep. He was in the boat with some buddies, also fishermen, also disciples of Jesus. But then something happened that was different. What was that? What was the, what was the inciting incident? Jesus walking on the water. He looks out and he sees Jesus walking on the water. He sees the bush burning and walking towards him, right? Uh, he sees the house and smells the pleasant smell. He is drawn in. He anticipates, and he wants to move towards Christ. And he does so with such boldness, he hops out of the boat. And things are going well as he looks to Christ, and he's, he's still in this mode of anticipation, but then the challenge happens. He starts doing this. I don't know if you can see my eyes, but he starts going, you know, he's doing this, this part, and then he sees that water is not something to be walked on, but to sink in, and so he begins to sink. The challenge has appeared. In this instance, Peter can't do anything on his own, can he? The challenge is not something he can overcome by himself. In the same way that Moses could never have gone and liberated an entire people from slavery to Pharaoh, the most powerful man and nation on the face of the world, by himself. But then there's a moment of true encounter. Moses, excuse me, Peter, as he's sinking, looks up and he sees Jesus. And Jesus has come to him and he reaches down and he grabs him and draws him up and brings him to himself. And Peter learns that Jesus is the Savior in some measure in that moment. Do you remember um, a few weeks ago we were talking about uh, well, I guess this was in Sunday school. We were talking about Jesus' descent into Hades. And if you go into my office, you can see on the wall, someone gave me this amazing painting. I don't know who it was. It was an anonymous gift of Jesus uh, going, descending into hell, descending to the dead after his crucifixion, and trampling down the, the gates of Hades and reaching down and pulling Adam and Eve up by the wrist, up out of death, out of the depths to himself, into life. It's the same thing happening with Peter. He comes, and the watery chaos of death is engulfing him, and Jesus is the one. Peter can't do it himself, but Jesus comes and grabs him and picks him up and lifts him up and draws him near, and now Peter gets back into the boat and returns to normal life. But do you think his life was different after that? It's the pattern of worship. It's what happens here when we come here. We come, we confess our sin. We're helpless to save ourselves, Lord. And Jesus reaches down and assures us, 
because of my life and death and resurrection, ascension, and giving the Spirit, you're forgiven. Peace be with you. It's the same story. It's the story of John of Patmos. It's the Lord's Day. What's he doing? He's worshiping. Just like all the other times he's an old man now. All the other times he had worshiped. But on this day, something happened. A door stands open in heaven. And he hears one calling to him, and he's lifted up, and he's taken out. He's anticipating, and he moves up. He moves into this experience, this vision, this encounter, towards this encounter in heaven. But there's a challenge. The scrolls are being opened, but there's no one worthy to open a particular scroll. John weeps. Who thought they would go to heaven and cry? John does. Challenge. But then he sees one, a lamb standing as though he'd been slain, and he alone is worthy to come and to open the seal, to break the seal and open the scroll. And Jesus does this. And then John encounters the blessings of coming to know what worship is like in heaven, what God's plans are for us, how all these things will be gathered up. And then he returns, he's sent back, and he writes it. And we have it in the back of our Bibles, book of Revelation. It's the same, same pattern. It's this it's a long way of getting around to saying it's the same pattern of the wise men at Epiphany. The wise men are living in the land of the East, being wise. They are kings, doing kingly things, whatever those are. And then <laughs> what happens? They see, what do they see? They see a star. They see a star. Now, part of the reason they're called wise men is in the ancient world, everyone knew the stars so much better than we do, uh, the patterns of them. And they tried to understand what meanings might be held there. The stars long ago were understood to be um, symbolic, in the, at least, of the angelic host, of those who gathered around God uh, in the heavenly sphere. They see a star. It's a star that indicates for them, I don't know how they knew it, but there was a king born. It's the moment of anticipation. They said, let us go and worship this king. And they move in to the journey. This, you know, this was, you couldn't catch a quick flight uh, on Allegiant for 40 bucks and, you know, get a quick trip over the Middle East to the land they were going. This was a long and arduous journey. It took months. It took planning. It took lots of people. It took supplies. It was hard. It was difficult. Have you ever seen something that you desired and wanted and anticipated and worked for it for a really long time? You ever done that? That means you really valued that thing, didn't it? They set out on their journey. But then, of course, they encountered challenge along the way certainly in their stages to get there, but then in the form of Herod the king, who bars their approach, who tries to trick them. They're not even quite aware of the challenge yet. Tries to trick them so that he can also find out where the child is, so that we find out a few uh, paragraphs later that he wants to go and kill the child, the king. He doesn't want any competition. And once he can't find him, he just kills all of them two and under. So there's challenge. Sometimes when we draw close to worship, we have challenges that are external to us. The weather being one. There's some people who legitimately probably shouldn't get out in weather like this. But then there are also internal challenges that we face as well. The comfort of 
the warm house or whatever it may be. You know what those are for you. But you encounter challenges, external, internal. But then the wise men do experience true encounter, don't they? The narrative gets really slow, drawn out, and the sentences get longer, and the descriptions get broader. And they finally come to the place where the star was, and they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Like, can you imagine? That's a lot of joy. A lot of joy. And then they come near and see Mary and Joseph. They see the child, and they fall down and worship him. And then they offer their treasures and give him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. It slows way down this encounter. And then within the midst of the mystery of that, they experience also a vision, a dream, not to tell Herod about this, and they returned, there's the return, to their home by a different route. I want to read you a poem about that. It's by T.S. Eliot. It's called The Journey of the Magi. See if you can hear anticipation, challenge, encounter, blessing, return. A cold coming we had of it, just the worst time of the year. For a journey and such a long journey, the ways deep and the weather sharp, the very dead of winter. And the camels galled, sore-footed, refractory, lying down in the melting snow. There were times we regretted the summer palaces on slopes, the terraces, and the silken girls bringing sherbet. Then the camel men cursing and grumbling and running away and wanting their liquor. And the night fires going out and the lack of shelters and the cities hostile and the towns unfriendly and the villages dirty and charging high prices. A hard time we had of it. At the end, we preferred to travel all night, sleeping in snatches, with the voices singing in our ears saying that this was all folly. Then at dawn, we came down to a temperate valley, wet below the snow line, smelling of vegetation, with a running stream and a water mill beating the darkness, and three trees on the low sky, and an old white horse galloped away in the meadow. Then we came to a tavern with vine leaves over the lintel, six hands at an open door dicing for pieces of silver and feet kicking the empty wineskins. But there was no information. And so we continued and arrived at evening, not a moment too soon, finding the place it was, you may say, satisfactory. All this was a long time ago, I remember. And I would do it again. But set down, this set down, this, were we led all that way for birth or death? There was a birth, certainly. We had evidence and no doubt. I had seen birth and death, but had thought they were different. This birth was hard and bitter agony for us. Like death, our death. We returned to our places, these kingdoms, but no longer at ease here in the old dispensation with an alien people clutching their gods. I should be glad of another death. It's probably one that warrants reading again. Did you hear the different stages 
They saw the star. They anticipated the challenges along the way. The sin they regretted. The journey was difficult. The trip was hard. But eventually they did come to this moment of encounter. But the encounter was not what they expected. Was it birth or death? It's worship each week. Yes, we encounter life. In all its fullness, we encounter Jesus Christ. But when we meet Him, what did the assurance of pardon say? The old life is gone and new life has begun. It's like death and it's like life altogether. When they meet Jesus, they experience both in such a way that they go back home, they return. But things are different. They're different. The kingdom they experience with people clutching at their God or their idols is different. And He longs for a second death. Why? At the end? Because He longs to be with Christ in that fullness again. That's a powerful poem, isn't it? You see the pattern? The anticipation? You know, what I'd like for you to do this week is to think about when you come to worship, what are you actually anticipating? What are you looking for? Who are you looking for? What are you hoping is going to happen? Do you think about it or not think about it? Have you set the bar low or high? Have you allowed other things to sway you a bit or distract you? What do you anticipate? Who do you anticipate? Then pay attention to the challenges you face. It is not easy getting up and getting to church on time. My family was late this morning, right? It's, it, there, there are things that come up. Sometimes they're external to us, but often we face internal challenges too. Notice what they are for you. What needs to be overcome? Where do you need to look up and ask Jesus to take you by the arm and pull you out and draw you to himself so that you can truly encounter him in word and in sacrament so you can receive the blessing? That's what happens at this table. That's what happens in worship. We give Christ all that we are, especially the bad, and he gives us himself so that when we return to our life and our day and our week, we're now different. It's the pattern of worship. I invite you to consider it here and when you return. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.